Hello and welcome to the podcast Research and Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. My name is Johannes Miesker. I am an assistant professor in this leadership research field. I hope you enjoy the interview today. So I am sitting here in London at uh, UCL and the Institute of Education, and it's called something like the London Center of Leadership in Learning. Very good. Yeah. Yes. And uh, with me is uh, Dr. David Godfrey. That's right. And we have um, yeah about half an hour, and I have asked you asked you to pick one topic or one publication or one book for us to talk about. So what would you like to talk about? Well, my area of kind of passion and expertise really is around research-informed practice. Um, my um, All of my practical and, and kind of academic life has been uh, pretty much geared around that interest, I think. And my PhD was about research-engaged schools, and I'm currently working with schools on projects to do with school improvement through engagement with research. So mm. I can talk about that topic from a number of different angles and talk about different papers that I've written, different projects that I'm involved in. But that would be the central theme with all of them, which is really about the challenge of bringing research evidence closer to what practitioners do. And by practitioners, most importantly, probably teachers but not not in, you know not uh, that doesn't exclude other educationalists and of course school leaders which is important to our center here and when you talk about research informed practice and the research you have done is it in primary school secondary school higher education very little with higher education um, we focus the work in the center here is largely with primary and with secondary schools um, the, you can it certainly it's quite widely applicable to further education as well, although they tend to be larger institutions, so they, be, they come almost closer to higher education. And if we're talking about whole school improvement, um, that's certainly the case with primary schools we work with. It's usually working with the head teacher from the school. Secondary schools can be bigger. And therefore, sometimes we're talking about a facet of what the school does or a department or a faculty. Um, but, but again, we're generally working with school leaders at some level of leadership in secondary schools as well. So, so your research, is <coughs> it qualitative, uh, quantitative, or is it action-based research? Or how do you carry out with your research? Well, actually, a lot of the, the work that we do here would probably be best described as research and development because really we're trying to work with school leaders and practitioners in an inquiry mode, and that includes them as professionals inquiring into their practice, relating 
published research to their practice and with their own individual and self-evaluations of schools. So it's about bringing those together. Uh, I am also involved in other research projects and they vary in their methodologies. In my PhD, I used mixed methods research um, that looked at survey data across eight secondary schools, um, but I also followed up with about 30 interviews with key people in five of those schools for, for kind of more detailed information about the professional learning culture of those schools, which is very important. So in terms of my... I, I suppose if in my choice methodologies would generally be mixed methods mm. and um, I it's hard for me to think of a research design that really looks at my topic that would exclusively be quantitative because usually what leaders, leaders do and what research engagement does has a number of indirect effects so it's very hard to say for instance if a school is very research engaged do the exam results go up for the kids mm. uh, because there are a number of indirect links and of course a number of many many factors which influence whether that's the case and also the way that the school even engages in research will vary from one school to another there isn't only one pattern of that mm. so it's important to understand really when they when a school says it's research engaged you almost really have to go there give the school um, instruments to audit their own practice and really find out in more detail really what that means in practice. And 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 when you go out to a school to to research their research based practice, is is it kind of that you will go out to help them to start to become research oriented, or or do you actually go to schools which already have started this research based journey? Well, usually the school has started that journey or wants to start that journey. With my um, PhD, that's a good question, actually, because it might, I was interested in research-engaged schools. And then, of course, the question with a PhD is how do you sample that? You know, which schools do you go to? And there is no kind of list really of re well actually there, there was a, a, a in to some degree a list because an organization called the national foundation for educational research has an award called the the uh, research mark i was an assessor for them on that but it's a very limited list and that hides many of the schools which are very research engaged that just don't know about that award so really it's a question of looking around looking at websites and so forth looking at where schools have been named in research, um, where they've come up in articles, working with other universities in partnerships, for instance. And the schools that then I... Then then also, it's also schools that agree to take part in the research. So it's, oh. to a great degree, self-selecting anyway. So the the purpose of, of those case studies, for instance, was not to find a typical school. It was to find schools that in some way had already engaged in research and then to understand how far along that journey they are or were, how long it took, um, what are the barriers and facilitators of that, and also what it what really were the patterns of research engagement in practice. Mm. And if we turn our eyes to the head teacher and the issue of being a research-based school, what, what, what kind of important points is it for a teacher to be involved in this kind of practice? Mm. 
head teachers have a very important role. Um, all of the very research-engaged schools that I've seen have head teachers who are strong advocates of research engagement. Head teachers, well, we know from leadership research that um, you know that there are several facets of leadership that are important in research engagement. So, for instance, if we look at transformational leadership, it's the values and the vision of the school leader which would incorporate uh, a research evidence-based approach as part of that um, across the school that would help drive that. In terms of instructional leadership, there would be, or learner-centered leadership, there would be the desire, for instance, for um, teaching practice to and, le and student learning to be improved through research engagement very directly through modes of translation of research to practice such as lesson study or action research groups and things like that. Um, and there's also a very important capacity building role of head teachers in identifying leadership potential, promoting it through research projects, but also looking for, to a degree, research expertise that already exists in their school and their cooperating schools so for instance you find quite often find there are some teachers who have had some experience in higher education they may have done a master's or a PhD which is relevant and they can bring those that expertise into an R&D project that they're working in a school so school school lead and the other I think the other one perhaps the last thing to mention about the role of the head teacher which is a very powerful one is the role of the lead learner so they um, model that it is good to learn, that we don't already know all the answers. Um, in one of the schools I went to, the head teacher, who was very experienced, had a, an excellent reputation in a, in a large secondary school, he would frequently turn up in the um, training sessions with the newly qualified teachers and he would be involved in the same discussions and he and then they had R&D meetings where people of any level of seniority from NQTs all the way to head teachers could decide to take part based on their interest and their expertise so the role of the head teacher in facilitating all that is is really really important I think and I think it's important to understand that it's good to think of a trajectory of a number of years in developing and further deepening and embedding that culture, which you can do if the head teacher's around that long, mm. of course, and that sometimes is a challenge, particularly in um, London schools, for example, where you have a high turnover of, of head teachers and, and teachers in particular as well. Uh, so, so when you say that the head teacher has an important role <clears throat> for a school to kind of fully... Uh, gain from research-based practice is—is mm. is it uh, better if the head teacher actually participates in kind of working research-wise or using research? Well, both aspects are important. So, research-engaged school should be promoting practitioner inquiry and research, and the head teacher has a role in doing that and may take part in some of that, of course. Although it's not always easy for the head teacher to directly have time to do that. Um, but also it's about using, um, using can be a deceptive word, but I'll use it as shorthand, but using published research in practice. I say it's a deceptive word because there is a, a rather strong narrative at the moment 
in many countries that teachers should be so-called looking at what the research says and then doing it, mm. which I think ignores many of the complexities in terms of the gap between research and practice and also ignores the limitations of what research can actually say and also the challenges of implementing something in practice. For example, we know Hattie says that feedback is very important in increasing student outcomes, but um, having, you know, developing excellent feedback practices as a practitioner can take years of experience and skill. Does this demand the head teacher to be, for example, at least at master level, or is it even better with a PhD, maybe? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, the, I think it helps to be a master's level, yeah, although um, I would say that it helps to be master's level in education. Of course, many head teachers have MAs and MSCs in other subjects, and that can be a problem because in some subjects they would only learn about particular forms of research, for, for instance, the natural sciences. Education is very multidisciplinary and, and does involve quantitative and qualitative designs. Um, a lot of research is, uh, involves case studies, for instance. So an understanding of those forms of inquiry is quite important, I think, and understanding about things like effect sizes, um, what statistical significance means and things like that. So I think it's important not just for head teachers but for all teachers to have that level of um, research literacy. Mm. Um, so when we look at countries like Finland, um, they have very highly qualified teachers who um, are all master's level and um, being quite academic is seen to be an essential component of professionalism and to be have an inquiry mode of professionalism is seen as an important facet. Um, we don't quite have that luxury in England, so I think what we need to do is to make sure that the continual professional development of teachers involves developing research skills, because so many of them won't have come with that originally. Um, when we talk about using research, is, is, is there something particularly important with uh, when we use it in instructional leadership or leadership of learning or whatever we call it? Um, how do you mean? Just kind of to use it to improve the learning itself and not only how to go around a certain area in mathematics. So kind of the overall pedagogical yeah approach. I mean my most of my of course research can be used for a number of things and um, there can be decisions made at leadership level which are not to do with pedagogy they're to do with decisions about how to use money strategic uses um, and, and, and resources and that kind of thing so I think research can play a role there however most of the projects that I'm involved in are looking at instructional leadership really and about how ultimately um, the teacher the, the, sorry the head teacher can help um, and other leaders can help facilitate excellence in teaching because in terms of what's really going to affect students in their classes um, clearly it's more directly the teacher than it is the school leader mm. and we know that despite the obsession um, in many countries, particularly England, about the quality of individual schools, we know from the research that the most important single factor is the quality of the teacher, not the school. So oh. it's better to be with an excellent teacher in a poor school than vice versa. Yeah. 
Um, so really, we we generally say to school leaders when we start our project, which may be a year, two years or more, um, what ultimately do you want to improve with your learners? Um, and to try and be very concrete about that so that we can tell if they've achieved it at the end. Oh. And that usually needs to be a, something rather more sophisticated than saying we want maths results to go up oh. because it may well be, for instance, that they're looking for um, things like they want to encourage collaborative learning in their classes. It may be that their exam results are already excellent and it'd be quite hard to get them any higher, um, but they may want to encourage other facets of learning. Um, so they need to be able to say from the outset, well, what would a collaborative learner look like ideally then? You know, and literally what, what sorts of things huh. in, you know, for instance, a, a year five class in a primary school, what, what might that student be doing or saying or writing to be evidence that they are learning collaboratively? Because oh. words like learning collaboratively, being independent, it's understandable they're used, but quite often they're, they're lacking precision so oh. that we can't really measure them. So starting with the end in mind and um, being very clear about the impact we want is a, a key part of methodology that we use, not just with R&D, but much of our professional development in the centre here. So when you talk about that, you have done research on instructional leadership and then kind of using this research-based uh, approach in schools. Mm. Can, can you talk shortly about any specific uh, projects or article? Sure. So at the moment, um, I'm working with um, research-informed peer review. So um, we've done. We're in the middle of the second year now. The first year we worked with six primary schools. Um, each primary school. Um, it sent the head teacher and at least one other leader and in some cases up to three other members of staff from their school and they worked together in workshops here at the IOE with us and then what they did is they started off by looking at research on effective feedback in learning and as part of the program that they signed up for they got a literature review to read they then went back to their schools and conducted a self-evaluation in terms of what they felt that they were doing in terms of feedback and also in the second workshop they had to bring their assessment and feedback policies right. to so that each school would scrutinize each other's policy in relation to um, what the research said and then during the year um, they divided into clusters of three and uh, in each cluster of three they visited each other's schools oh. and observed classes, interviewed students, interviewed staff um, and uh, although each school was looking at the issue of feedback each school had its own angle on that that they wanted us to focus on. So uh, over a whole day of scrutinising evidence we then finished that day with a, a long, about an hour and a half discussion about what had been learnt and ultimately the end of the year really ends with a greater idea about what theory of action the school currently has and would like to have in future in relation to their feedback policies. So that was a really interesting project. Um, I've I've been doing quite a lot of research on the idea of on, on school to school peer review. Um, I'm evaluating the Education Development Trust's 
school partnership program which is a big school peer review program in England um, so that's something that's um, a great interest of mine and what is a school peer to peer review so school peer review is rather I suppose the simplest way of describing it is so in England we have I don't know about the Faroe Islands we in England we have inspections school inspections so we have externally trained inspectors come in mm, Ofsted, yeah. Ofsted they come in with their Ofsted framework and then they judge the school on um, a one-to-four criteria. Um, outstanding, good, requires improvement, or they go into, they fail and go into special measures. And they're very high-stakes inspections. Now, many, in, probably in response to that, many schools kind of felt that, um, you know, there are, there are a lot of trained inspectors out there amongst school leaders, and they found it very... Uh, useful leadership experience to take part in an inspection of another school but also wouldn't it be good if we worked with other schools in a network and kind of inspected each other but without the potential negative outcome but as a learning exercise Mm. so um, there are many of these kind of peer review programs now when they started they tended to simply use the same Ofsted framework now what my research has shown is that they tend to then mimic an inspection too much and which then inhibits their deeper learning Mm. and progression so rather it's more proving than improving would be a kind of shorthand way of saying that and the term mockstead has come about as a result of that so doing a peer review as a mockstead now I think there is of course some value in that if uh, in preparation if you identify that you're likely to be inspected and you're worried about that and it's a good way of getting your staff ready However, I don't think it's a very good process of understanding and learning. So my um, peer review um, program here is really about linking research to practice much more and about developing understanding of a topic and sharing that theme. And then through a progression of visits, they then um, develop a greater understanding of what to do in relation to feedback. Um, So that's that's peer review. It's interesting that... um, and I'll be, I'm planning to write a book on this with a number of international contributions next year. And um, it, it's interesting that it's not always called peer review in other countries, but there are, I think, m- many similar types of practices going on in the US, in Australia, in, in many other countries. Um, of course, in countries that aren't used to having inspections, they maybe don't look at this in quite the same way. So the relationship between the external accountability environment and a peer review is quite an interesting area of research which we will be exploring in the book Mm. Uh, have you worked anything with uh, head teachers using leadership research to kind of inform and improve their uh, leadership well probably be the same example really uh, with the peer review I mean the the Many most head teachers in England are familiar uh, with the Education Endowment Foundation Toolkit website, which lists strategies in education likely to have a big impact. And they um, also, if if they are inspected by Ofsted, um, they have money which is given for. Um, uh, poorer children called the pupil premium fund and the more the more children they have of this nature the more money they have but they have to justify 
using evidence their use of this money. So many head teachers turn to the EEF toolkit and they look at which factors are meant to have the biggest impact. Now, through effect size research, similar to what John Hattie does, um, the EEF toolkit looks at um, which has the biggest effect, which is the most cost effective, and which has the strongest evidence base. And usually one of the top ones is feedback. Now, so in, in our peer review program, that's one of the reasons we started with feedback research. Now, the problem is, as a starting point, that's fine, that feedback has a big impact. But, but most teachers and most schools already know that. So the question is, why aren't they improving sufficiently oh. since that has such a big impact? So the whole kind of rationale f for the peer review program then is starting with head teachers, but also other school leaders, is to really evaluate in great detail in relation to what the evidence says, but you, looking at their own context, because feedback, obviously feedback to a five-year-old will be quite different to feedback to a 16-year-old mm. in an entirely different subject, entirely different stage of cognitive development and so forth. So, uh, you know, when Hattie and Timperley talk about feedback that enhances pupils' own self-regulation, the question is, well, how do you help a five-year-old self-regulate their learning? What does that actually look like in practice, right? Um, and what do the school's assessment policies do that enables high quality feedback to be um, uh, acted upon and collected at whole school level. So that is quite a sophisticated level of analysis. Mm. I think what the William and Black, when they published um, the Inside the Black Box research, uh, looked at formative assessment and they went around um, the UK and did a number of talks about effective feedback but I think years later they remained sort of frustrated that so many schools were not quite getting it. And I think um, the problem is is that one talk and then teachers go away with only a, a kind of superficial understanding of how to put those principles into practice. And then if you, and what we know from the research by authors like Hall and Horde and implementation levels is that um, after years, many teachers still only implementing the strategies on a surface level, on a very mechanistic level. Mm. So, for instance, you know, the idea of not um, having pupils put their hands up, um, which is suggested in some of the research on, on formative assessment. Um, but unless you really understand why you're doing that, then it's probably going to be, you know, you're just going, you're just going through the motions, really. Mm. Obviously, there are some occasions where asking pupils to put their hands up would be probably the best approach. Um, and just just saying that oh, I just do no hands up is probably not really going to um, have a, a huge impact in itself. Oh. David, very interesting, and actually time is running up now, uh, so I'll just cut short. And uh, and if my listeners want to maybe find some of your publication, is there an easy yeah. web page where they can go and find your? The whole publication list? Yeah, well, there's a number of ways. Um, one is you can go to educationalevaluation.net, and um, as co director of the Centre for Educational Evaluation and Accountability, um, they can see some of my research, including the research informed peer review that I was talking about. Um, I've also got a Google Scholar profile, so you can kind of Google me and, and find um, a list of my projects. Um, 
usually I find David Godfrey UCL Institute of Education also leads you to we will have our profiles here at the, the IOE so you'll, you'll see some of my publications there Thank you for listening to the podcast Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. I hope you have enjoyed the interview and that you have gained some new insights into leadership. I hope that you will listen to the other podcasts in this series. A new podcast is being published on the first of every month. You are also welcome to join us on Facebook. There is a group called Research in Leadership in Schools, Early Childhood Settings and Social Care Settings. If you just type in the name of the podcast in the search field in Facebook, you will find the group. Once again, thanks for listening and bye-bye.